Here we are again, back in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and we're coming to an end. We're entering into the last chapter of Ephesians, and, and a lot of times people seem not to have as much excitement for the last three chapters of Ephesians as they do the first three chapters. In the first three chapters, we have this awesome revelation of what Jesus Christ has done to, to rescue humanity back to himself, that we were predestined in him to be in his image and, and his likeness, and we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Those are things people get excited about. But when we tra- make the transition to living it out in daily life, it's kind of like, oh well. And this is where the world, the unbelievers, the, the, the pagans, <laughs> they get the term hypocrite. Hypocrite, because we shout about Jesus in the church. We shout about Jesus and what he's done for us and that we're new creations and that the Spirit of God lives in us and that we live in the kingdom of God. And then we go out in the world and we look just like them. And this is very, very simple. Very, very basic in connecting spirituality with daily, daily life. And in the beginning, I mean, Paul, Paul talks about what, what the church looks like, how it comes together and how we edify and how we build each other up. In the last three chapters of Ephesians, we are seeing what a believer does not look like and what a believer does look like. And if we, as we went through those, if you were seeing things that a believer is not supposed to look like and you're saying, well, you know what, I kind of look like that. Wake up. Awake to your righteousness. Awake to who you are in Christ Jesus. Believe. Believe that you're a new creation. Believe that the Spirit of God dwells within you. That you're no longer in the bondage of sin. You're not just saved from sin in the punishment of sin. You're saved out of. It no longer has dominion or control over you. And if you think it does, that's just an illusion. That's a lie. And a lie only has as much power as you believe it. Some of you are believing lies to a great extent to where it's controlling, manipulating your life. Thus far, we have seen how the collective body is to look and act the church. We have seen how the relationship of the husband and wife is to look and be a witness of the relationship of Christ in the church. Now we're moving. We're moving from the church and we're moving from husbands and wives. We're looking at the relationship of parents and children and employees and employers. That's pretty basic stuff, isn't it? God has something to say on how you raise your children. God has something to say how you treat your wife and how you treat your husband. God has something to say on how we treat one another. And God has something to say on how a Christian is supposed to operate and look in the workplace. And how employers, Christian employers, are to look and operate in the workplace. It's interesting that, you know, the home, the home is the first place for, for God and the, the new creation realities to manifest. You know, as you look at um, the, the, I don't want to say the rules, the requirements of being a leader in the church, an elder or a deacon, the, it says 
if they can't rule their own home, how can they rule the, the house of God? So these basic things that we kind of just write off, it's saying, if you can't get it right in your own home, then don't worry about getting other people straightened out. You know, don't worry about trying to be a leader outside the home. First place, the first place that we are to be a teacher, a witness of Christ is in our own homes. And that's the very first thing that God gave Adam. Was a wife. Actually, the first thing he gave him was a job. He told him to tend the garden. Take care of the garden. So he gave Adam a job. Then he gave him a wife. And then he gave him a family. We do everything backwards nowadays. We have a family. Then we might get a, have, have a wife. And then if by, by some small chance we go out and find a job. It's the complete opposite. But this is how the kingdom of God works. This is how God works. There's nothing wrong with hard work. God created us for work and to enjoy work. And, and the satisfaction. There's a satisfaction with a job well done, isn't there? There is. There's a satisfaction. You've all experienced it. You experienced it from a little kid drawing a picture. And you work real hard at it. And mommy and daddy says, oh, it's beautiful. And there's satisfaction there of doing something well and doing something to the best of your ability. You, we were created to be creative. We were created to, to build and imagine. We were created like God. So, in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Notice the difference in the commands between the wife and the children. He says to the, to the wives, submit to your own husband. And again, I'm going to say this over again. Wives are to submit to their own husband, not to men. Right? But men, you better treat all women special. There's nothing wrong with opening doors for people. I mean, we've gotten to a place in our society where you don't know if you're going to get yelled at if you open a door for a woman. And that's sad. That's sad. But here, he says, children, obey. Submission is an attitude. Submission is a choice. And like we said, you can submit and not obey, and you can obey and not submit. Right? And here he says, Children, obey your parents. So we got wives that are called to submit to their own husbands. Children, obey your parents. And again, men, you die. You die. You die for your wives. You die for your children. But even, even in this commandment of obeying, there's still limitations. Notice it says, obey your parents in the Lord. If your parents are telling you to do something that is sinful, that is not pleasing to God, you are not un, under obligation to obey them. But it's unto the Lord, in the Lord. Right? Amen. 
Honor your father and mother, for, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. See, children should move from a place of obeying to honoring. As they mature, as they mature in the Lord, as a child grows, he should mature by the training that he receives from his parents. From a young age, you're supposed to be training your kids with discipline. And by training them with discipline, they move to a place of honor for their parents. Discipline and training. As a, young, as a child is disciplined and trained as a young child, they won't do things out of fear. If you discipline them, you give them a little swat on the butt and discipline them, they won't do it any longer because of fear. But you're training them, teaching them, and we're going to get to this a little bit more, is instilling in them the reason why they were disciplined, the reason why they don't do those things. And as they mature, they stop doing those things out of honor for the parent rather than just the fear of getting the spanking, getting disciplined, right? And that's exactly what God did with us through the law. It was our, our schoolmaster. It was our trainer. And then Christ came, and we have matured in Christ. And now we're no longer under law, but in the Spirit. And because of the love of God that we received and the honor that we give Jesus Christ and the Spirit that dwells within us in our maturity in Him, now we walk in the Spirit and we don't gratify the lust of the flesh. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. This is a reference to Exodus 20.12. But the Bible is filled with references of proclaiming this truth of honoring your father and mother is in being obedient to your father and mother, how there's blessings that are tied to it. And the reason why there's blessings tied to it, just like the marriage relationship, the children's relationship with their parents is a symbolic illustration of our relationship with God. Look what it says here in Proverbs. Proverbs 1, 8-9. My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instructions. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. There's blessings tied to listening and obeying your parents and hearing what they're teaching you. In verse 20 of chapter 6 of Proverbs, it says, My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instructions. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck when you walk their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp and their instruction a light. Their corrective discipline is a way to life. Man, sounds just like how the Bible talks about the Word of God, doesn't it? In the Spirit of God. Proverbs 23, 22, and 25. Listen to your father who gave you life and don't despise your mother when she is old. See, the Bible was so advanced so advanced for, for its time. Notice how the mother and the father are given the same reverence, the same respect throughout the Bible. You know, back when this, when this, the Bible, when this was proclaimed, 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 proclaimed in Solomon, other nations 
women were treated as property. Here, their teaching and, and their training of their children is raised to the same level as the father. So these people that proclaim that the Bible is a bunch of just moral laws and, and that it's, it's against women and it's a brutality against children and slavery and all that, we're going to get into slavery today, they don't, they've never read it. They never read the, the Bible. Don't despise your mother when she is old. Get the truth and never sell it. Also get wisdom, discipline, and good judgment. The father of godly children has cause for great joy. You want to make your daddy happy? Be a godly child. Want to make your mom happy? Be a godly child. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. So give your father and mother joy. May she who gave you birth be happy. Amen. Colossians 3.20 It says, Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. If you want to be pleasing to the Lord, obey your parents. Obey your parents. So there's great reward in that. See, and I hope I can get this, this across to you guys this morning, that the authority of the parent in a young child's life is to represent the authority of God in a person's life. You know, remember last week when we talked about the wife is the glory of the husband as the man is the glory of God, right? What a wife looks like if she's beat down, tired, miserable, it reflects on what kind of husband she has. And the same thing as with God. If his people look beat down, if they look miserable, if they're in dire straits all the time, it represents God. And so it is with the children. The children, the way that they act represents their parents. Just as a person renews their mind to submit and imitate God in the same way a child obeys, honors, and imitates their parents. God will bless them with long life, prosperity, and divine health. That's what it's talking about, that you may live long in the earth. Goodness will follow you. See, there comes a time, and, and we, know, we see it in teenagers. As teenagers mature, it's not that you just want them to obey, but you now want them to honor their father and mother. And that's the biggest problem with, with teenagers and young adults is that they don't honor. They don't have respect for their parents. Right? It becomes rebellion. They rebel against their parents. And I'm telling you, if you rebel against your parents now, there's a good chance you will rebel against God because they represent God in your life. There comes a time when a child makes the transition that they no longer obey their parents, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, but they still honor their parents. And there comes a time when it's no, it's no longer just the words and the training that your parents gave the children, but it's your own training and the words of God that start directing the, your paths. The same way that you are obedient to your, your, your father and your mother when you're young, when you grow, you won't be depart from it, and you'll be obedient and submit to the Word of God and God's counsel and God's ways of doing things. This whole thing is a picture 
The family is a picture of our relationship with God. See, there's a blessing, and we just read that, that there's a blessing tied to children's obeying and honoring their parents. And that's because the parents represent the Word of God in their life. Christian parents, good parents, represent God in their life. They, want, they teach them and train them in the ways of the, the Lord. They teach them in wisdom and counsel and why you do things. In 3 John 1-2, it says, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. What is prosperity and health tied to there? As your soul prospers. What's the soul? The soul is the mind, will, and emotions, right? So as you renew your mind to the Word of God, prosperity and health follow. The same thing. As you are obedient and honor and submit to your, your parents, prosperity and health follows. There's a blessing tied to it. It's the way that God does things. Rebellion to parents will almost always end with rebellion to God. Children are, are always to honor their parents, but there comes a time when they will no longer be obligated to obey their parents. Look at what it says in Galatians. In Galatians chapter 4, 1 and 2, it says, Now I say that an heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ from a slave, though he is a master of all is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. So it's saying, if you want to be a child, when you're a child, even though the inheritance is for you, until you get to the point where you can live out the inheritance, that you can control the inheritance, that you, won't have, you have wisdom how to operate in the inheritance, you are under teachers and trainers until that point. But there is a point that you no longer are Different from a slave. And you're no longer under guardians and stewards. There comes a time when you make that transition. And that transition, a lot of times, is when you get married. Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There comes a time when you are no longer obligated to obey your parents. You still honor your parents. And Jesus even talked about honoring your father and mother. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But there comes a time when you still honor them, but you no longer obey them because now you have become your own mature adult. And you become joined to your wife, and the two of you become one flesh. That represents Christ in the church. You have offspring, and you raise them up in the ways of the Lord, and they're obligated to obey you. You understand that? Jesus compared honoring your parents with taking care of them. In Mark chapter 7, um, 9 through 13. And what was happening was Jesus was calling the religious leaders, the Pharisees, hypocrites because they were telling people that if you give all a bunch of money to the church, then you're no longer obligated to take care of your parents in their old age. And he said that they were hypocrites. He said they called it Corban. That's where Corban has his name. And I said this before, but his name falls, uh, it's Mark 7-11, and he was born on July 11th, 7-11. And if he's saying, you tell, tell people if, if what they would get, take care of their parents with, if you'd give it to the church, it's Corbin, a gift devoted to God, then they're uh, no longer under the law to take care of their parents in their old age. And he's saying, you're nullifying the Word of God. You're making the Word of God of none effect through your traditions, Right? 
So we're obligated. You're obligated to honor your, your parents. You're obligated to take care of them in their old age. You're obligated to, to love them in their old age as they loved you in your, as a child. Ephesians 6.4. And you fathers, parents, it literally means here, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition, instruction of the Lord. Parents are to not provoke your children to wrath, but to bring them up in training and instruction in the Lord. Rules without relationships lead to rebellion. If you want a rebellious, rebellious, rebellious child, just discipline them. Just discipline them. See, we're not called to just discipline our children. We're called to raise them up, to train them, and discipline them. You understand what I'm saying? Rules? If all you have is a bunch of rules, and you have no relationship with your child, it will lead them to rebel. Parents are not told to only discipline their children, but to teach their children. Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. See, the thing of it is, is, as a parent, as a parent, you're not called to only discipline your children. You're called to train them. So when Johnny runs across the street without looking both ways, you don't just spank them. You don't just discipline them. You, you, you give discipline, but you say, the reason why I'm giving you discipline is because if you don't learn to look both ways before you cross the street, a car could come and you could get killed. Right? Thank God my parents taught me how to cross the, sp- the street. Now, when I go to cross the street today, I don't say, well, I better look both ways. I don't want to get a spanking. No. I understand. I've been trained. Right? And that's the same thing that should be with all things. In the way that, we, that kids understand finances, the way that kids carry themselves being truthful, and being honest, and being generous, and being givers, and not following the ways of the world, it's not just through discipline, but it's also training, explaining to them why, creating a relationship with your children, so they know, they know why you're telling them to do the things that you're telling them to do. Not just because you want to wreck their fun, right? And here's the thing of it is, is parents have been down that road, right? Most of us weren't trained when we were kids. And we just went out and did whatever we wanted to, and we learned that it, that type of lifestyle robs, kills, and destroys. Correct? And how many of you have ever said to your, parent, your children, I've been there. I know. Listen to me. I have wisdom here. I have experience in this area of life. Do not do the things that I did, because it will not go well with you. Right? And, and think about it this way. Let's tie it all back. God is the same way. When you look at the Bible, and it's telling you to live a certain way, it's telling you to act a certain way, it's telling you to come apart from the world and not be like them. I think God knows. God has a little bit more wisdom than we are walking in, right? He has a little bit more knowledge than we're walking in. He think He understands the way that prosperity, happiness, joy truly comes, right? So we're just like our rebellious kids. Oh, God, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't have no clue what's going on. 
You're just not cool. You don't understand the way to success. That might have worked back when the Bible was written, but that doesn't, that won't work today. All we are is a bunch of snotty, back-mouthing, rebellious teenagers. Hmm. See, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And this is something that I, I really struggle with because life is, is, is busy, right? And the thing of it is, is if you're going to have kids, you can't let life get you too busy that you don't train your children. It's easy to say, because I said so, that's why. That's not training. There is times, you know, it might be in a supermarket or it might be, you know, it might be something that's happening that you that they need to obey just to obey because you're the parent. But if you're not explaining to them why, it's going to lead to more rebellion. It's going to lead to them not having understanding. It's going to lead to them not being wise. And me as a parent, there's things that, you know, I think my kids should just know. I had a, I had a, I had a uh, situation this week, just telling them, telling them myself, where I failed in this area. My son Corbin, it's summertime. His feet look black. I mean, they were filthy. And I told him to go wash his feet. And he goes, what? I go, go wash your feet. Get in the bathtub and wash your feet. You want me to take a bath? No, just go wash your feet. And, and I thought he was rebelling against me, but he truly, honestly, did not know how to wash his feet. He goes in there and starts taking off his clothes. I go, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm going to wash my feet. And I go, why are you taking your clothes off? you got shorts on. Just get in there and wash your feet. And sit, get in there and sit down and wash your feet. He goes, you want me to sit in there with my clothes on? And I go, no, on the ledge. On this ledge, you sit there. And I said, Amanda, come and get him. Explain how to wash your feet. I'm having a meltdown. I thought he was just being... Being smart aleck, that he didn't, he honestly did not know how to wash his feet. And, but I wasn't taking the time to train him, teach him. And I was getting an getting attitude and I was getting mad. And that will cause discouragement. If you think your kids know something and they don't know it, and you're trying to get them to act a certain way and they don't know how to act that way, it just caused discouragement. I mean, how many of you have said, just look, look what needs to be done and do it? And they don't know what to do. They don't know what needs to be done. They're looking at it, and I don't, I don't know. And so they want, they want to do what's right, and then they do something that they think they're supposed to do, and you say, what are you doing? Don't do it that way. What are you doing it that way? We've all experienced that, haven't we? And then words come out like, you idiot. You're so stupid. You're just like your mom. All these things come out. I don't, I don't say that stuff. You guys do. Right? We all remember stuff like that. It's because we weren't training our children. And the reason why is because you weren't trained. Having children, having a family, having a marriage, isn't something you walk into lightly. It's not something that you walk into saying, this is going to be easy. It isn't something that you get this romantic idea from all the Hollywood movies that you watch. I mean, there's some rude awakenings. 
It's hard work. But it's the best thing in the world. But just getting to a point that you need to train. You need to take the time to train and teach your kids and not always just be disciplined, not always just say, because I said so. But nurturing and training in the way that they should go. Amen? See, isn't that something? That's how God is. God just doesn't give us a bunch of rules and say, because I said so. He trains us. He guides us. He leads us. He shows us. We have examples in the Word of God of people that did things. The Bible calls them that they were examples for us. That we would learn from their mistakes and we would learn from what they went through. Right? And then Jesus came on the scene and he showed us a better way to live in fellowship with the Father. Right? Walking in the truth and be merciful and blessing. So that's where we get out of the kids. See, everybody wants this five-step program on how to raise kids. If you do this, this, and this, then you'll have great kids. No, no. See, that's why thus far I've never taught on, on children raising, because you wouldn't like it. Because all the responsibility would go on the parents. <laughs> you're supposed to discipline, you're supposed to nurture, you're supposed to train. That's it. So as we make this conversion, our change, we're changing now from, from the family union. We looked at the husbands and wives. We looked at the, the parents and children. Now we're looking at this conversation of employer-employee. And you're going to see why I'm calling it employer-employee in just a second. We get in this conversation of servants and masters, the Bible says. Slavery in the Old Testament with the law of God in Israel was not the way slavery was in other pagan nations or even in the United States before it was outlawed. See, here's another, here, this is one of those things that they say, the Bible, it, 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 it doesn't speak out against slavery. And here, and we're going to read these scriptures with Paul. Paul doesn't speak out against slavery. See, the thing is, slavery, much like divorce in the Bible, it, God says that he, gave them, they allow, he allowed them to get divorced in the Bible for the hardness of their own hearts. Slavery was much in the same way, the hardness of men's hearts. But you'll see that the way that slavery, if you could even call it that in Israel, was much different than those that were outside of God. And even different than how the United States had slavery here. And we're going to look at some of this. In other pagan nations and even in America, slaves were personal property. The slave owner's rights over the slave's person and work were totally, total and absolute. And third, the slave was stripped of his identity, racial, family, and social and marital status. That's, it. That's what you, you guys picture as a slave, Right? And that's how, for much of the world, that's how slavery was. For the United States, that's how slavery was. And it was horrible. It was horrific. Slavery in Israel, Israel was much more <clears throat> of an indentured servanthood. If a person found themselves strapped for shekels, they could come, become an indentured servant to a boss or employer. It was actually a way to eliminate poverty. And it actually is the first workings of employer-employee. If you became indebted to someone, you could work off your debt. 
And this has happened in the United States. There was many, many people that came over from, from, um, from Britain and from Europe, and they didn't have the money to make it to the United States, so they had someone wealthy that was living in the United States, and they said what they would do is they'd become an indentured servant to them for a certain amount of money, how many years they'd have to take to work off their debt. They would pay for them to come over. They would work for that person for a certain amount of years, an agreement amount of years. They were a servant to them. And then after that allotment of years, then they were free. Right? After the debt was paid, some servants cho- chose to stay on as bond servants, which would be our concept of an employee-employer relationship. So you could choose. After your debt was paid, you could say, you know what? I like working for this individual. I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to become a bond servant unto you. But that was a choice of, of the servant. Here were some rules of servanthood in the law of God. Many people don't know this. That if you were uh, indebted to, a, to somebody and that you became their servant or slave, every seven years, all debts were forgiven and all slaves were free. That's much different than slavery that we talk about. Number two, if a, if a slave was injured, even by accident by his master, they were released. That's found in Exodus 21, 26, and 27. The first one was found in Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 18. You could not kidnap a person to sell them into slavery. And that is found in Exodus 21, 16, Deuteronomy 24, 7, and 1 Timothy 1, 10. It's even in the New Testament that you weren't allowed to kidnap people and take them as slaves or sell them into slavery. Much different, Right? So when the Bible talks about slavery, it's much different. Number four, Israel was commanded to provide safe harbor for foreign runaway slaves. And that's Deuteronomy 23, 15 through 16. So if there, if there was a slave that was in a pagan nation, another, another nation, and they escaped from slavery and came to Israel, Israel was to protect them and give them safe, safe harbor. Much, much different. And the truth is that the slavery in America was brought to an end through the church of Jesus Christ. Through the church, slavery was brought to the end. And, and America was the first nation to ever outlaw slavery in the world. In the world. So the Bible is clearly against slavery. The Bible is clearly against it. So with this understanding, with this in mind, In transition to the language of our day, we will interpret the following scriptures in our modern-day understanding of employee-employer. Okay? It's interesting that the first two things that God gave Adam was a job and a family. And this is God telling us how we're to look in the job market. It says, bond servants, in Ephesians 6, 5, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. The flesh, see, in the flesh they're your masters, but you have to remember that you have your true master in the spirit is God. Right? So in the flesh they might be your master, they might be your employer, but in the end they're not your ultimate source. God is your master, God is your source. Fear and trembling, that means reverence and hard work. You guys ain't going to like this. 
God is telling us that you're supposed to reverence your employer and work hard. Trembling. It literally means to tremble. That you're working hard that your body is trembling. Whether it's of the mind or of, the, of your physical body, you're supposed to work hard for your employers. This is so radically different than the world. But you have to remember who your true master is. Your true master is God. You're supposed to be doing your job unto what? The Lord. All things you're supposed to do unto the Lord. Right? And if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much. You'll be given much. Right? So we're supposed to work hard. We're supposed to revere and have reverence with sincerity sincerity of heart as to Christ. We are to work to please the Lord and be a witness of Him in our jobs. See, this is, again, this is where the world gets hypocrites. This is where the world can't see any difference between a Christian and an unbeliever. We should be radically different. We should be hard workers. We should do it with reverence unto the Lord. Verse 6, not as eye service, as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, <laughs> doing the will of God from the heart. I chuckle there because, you know, I'm jumping ahead, but men pleasers. That literally means, I just had a that literally means don't be a brown noser. Don't do what you do just to try to get up on the guy next to you. Don't do it just to get the next bonus or the raise. Do it with integrity. And I just had a picture of brown. We say things like brown noser. You know, it's all right to say brown nose in the church, but we all know how you get that brown nose, right? It, <laughs> some of the phrases we say this aren't good. But, so you, don't be a brown noser. Have integrity. Do a good job. Work hard because of who you are. Not because of what you can get. What's integrity? You ever think about what's integrity? I've heard some people say, you know, integrity is what you do when no one else is around, right? Do you act the same way when no one else is around as when people are around? When the boss comes around, is that when you start working hard as eye service? Oh, the boss is around. We better act like you're doing something. Oh, the boss is on vacation. We can, we can relax. A person that's that way has no integrity. I heard about a, a uh, teacher that asked their students, if you were all alone, let's say you were on an island, and you had the ability to shower, shave, and take care of yourself, would you? If no one else is around. And most of the students said no. If no one else is around, why would I shave? Why would I... Why would I worry about what I look like or what I smell like? And the teacher says, well, you have no integrity. Because the only reason why you bathe, the only reason why you shower, the only reason why you worry about what you wear and put on is because you want the approval of others. But inside of you, you're just an animal. I thought that was very interesting. Integrity. The things that you do in life, the way you dress, the way you look, the, the way you carry yourself, the way you act when people are around, do you do it because people are around or you do it because that's who you are? How many, I've been this way. 
Oh, we got company to come over. We got to clean this house up. You clean the house up because company's coming over, not because of who you are. I thought, I thought that was interesting. It was, and I had, I had to think about those things in my own life as I heard that. But we're supposed to be doing, we're supposed to be working on our job, not as men's pleasers, not just as eye servants, but as bond servants of Christ. That we have chosen to be a servant of Jesus Christ. We've chosen to bond ourselves to Christ. And the things that we do in this life have eternal rewards. We, have, we are representing Christ in all that we do. We're supposed to work hard. We're supposed to not be the pain in the butt at, on the job site. Doing the will of God from the heart because of who you are. See, promotion, promotion comes from the Lord. This is totally different than the world. The world makes you think that, well, i got to do this, this, and this so I can get my raise or I can get increase. But what we don't understand is that promotion comes from God. Prosperity, he is our true provider, is God. And if we do things unto the Lord, he will make sure that promotion comes. It might not be through your job even. It might be through another area. It might be in a different job altogether, but promotion comes from the Lord. In Psalm 75, 6 through 7 says, For promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and he setteth up, setteth up another. Notice that all, all the points of the compass are there except the north. Because the Bible speaks that God sits upon the north. Promotion comes from the Lord. Your prosperity comes from the Lord. And you don't do these things as men pleasers. You don't do these things trying to get ahead in life. You do them because of who they are. And you don't worry about where the next race is coming from. You don't, do, you don't worry about um, getting bonus rewards and pats on the back because promotion comes from the Lord. Jesus actually says if you do these things to get, get a, um, appreciation from men, that's your reward. But do good in secret. So the Father sees that, and then he will reward those that do that in secret. Amen? See, we're talking about being children of God. We're talking about being kingdoms of the light. We, we can go into work even, even if we don't like our job. See, that's one of the things. If you're a person that says, TGIF, thank God it's Friday, you're not supposed to be in a place where you're, hope, you're living for the weekend all the time. I would say that if you're, all you're doing is living for the weekend, you must not be in a place that God's called you to be. Does that mean you just quit and go find another job? No. You stay there until you stay there until you find the place that God's called you to be. You believe God. You follow God, His instruction, into where you're supposed to be. A lot of people are working a job just because they found one. There's a lot of people that's been in a in a facility for 30, 40 years just because they gave them a job. And just because you get a job doesn't mean that's the job for you. We're supposed to always be seeking the Lord. What is his will for my life? How, what have you called me to do? And then when you find the place that God has called you to do, you get into it and you work it to the best of your ability unto the Lord. Amen? Ephesians 6, 7. With good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. And we've talked about this. That, that means that we are to serve our employees without grumbling and complaining. 
Christians should not grumble and complain. Christians are not to be known as the pain in the neck. Christians aren't supposed to be grumbling and complaining about everything. Why? Because they have faith. They have faith in God. They have faith that God's their provider, God takes care of them, and that no matter what the situation looks like, they'll come out on top because of God. We're not supposed to be known as grumble and complaining. Goodwill, doing service to the Lord. Attitude. What's your attitude? As to the Lord, it doesn't matter if your boss is a jerk. You are not doing it for him. You're doing it for the Lord. See, that's the thing of it is, is we have to understand that when you have a mindset, when you have an attitude that the things that you do, when you get up in the morning and go to work, you're doing it as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter what your employer does. It doesn't matter how your employer treats you because you're not doing it for him. You're doing it for God. That's big. That's huge. Ephesians 6, 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether it is a slave or free. Whether you're a slave or free, if you're working unto the Lord, you will receive good from God. Think about that. We just talked about in the Psalms, it says promotion comes from God, right? Here it's saying the same exact thing, that as you work unto the Lord, God's going to take care of you. And even if you're a slave, it doesn't matter. He will still take care of you. Look at, look at Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. That was before the laws. They didn't know that they weren't supposed to sell people into slavery, especially your brother. But he was sold into slavery. He was a slave. He was committed of a crime that he did not commit. He was put in the lowest prison in Egypt. God took him from the lowest place in Egypt and seated him next to Pharaoh as the second in charge of all of the whole nation. See, don't tell me that, that you'll never prosper. You'll never um, have good success in your job. God says right here, whether if you're free or you're a slave, he'll promote you. He'll promote you. And it's all in your attitude. Some people might think, why should I have a good attitude or hard work? They don't care, and, I, and will never notice my attitude or performance anyway. But Paul made it clear in this verse that the reason for diligence is not the recognition of men, but the recognition of God. We have God's promises of reward, and his promises of reward are not just for this life, but they are eternal promises and eternal reward. Anything you do, even Jesus says, even if you give a child a glass of cold water in my name, you've done it unto me. You've done it unto me. So all you do, you do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, if the church, if Christians, those that call themselves Christians, actually operated in these principles that we see here today, it transformed our communities. Verse 9 of Ephesians. And you masters, this is talking to the employers, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. See, with God, it doesn't matter if you're a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, there's no partiality between the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company and the guy on the assembly line. God sees no difference. And both will be held 
accountable for what they do. He says, give up threatening. How many, how many have employers or are employees that th- feel like the only thing that you can get more out of your workers is to threaten? Threaten layoffs, threaten um, hour, less hours or cutbacks or getting, getting fired, all these things. He says, don't be that type of employer. Be like God. Edify, build up, encourage one another. Do the same things. See, employers are to act, employees are to act as if they're working for Christ, and employees are supposed to act as if their workers were Christ. What a radically different concept, huh? This is very, very, very common sense type stuff. And unfortunately, in the in the world that we live in, it's far too common. We the church and Christians have have gotten more and more like the world when it comes to the way we treat our families, the way that we treat our husbands and wives, the way that we are in the workplace. We look more and more like unbelievers. And it should not be that way. Amen? Amen. I just got a quick video clip. Hopefully, maybe I'll wrap this thing up a little bit to give you a clear understanding that work is worship and the things that we do um, are, are unto God and how we can have a radical impact on our communities through just working unto the Lord. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job, We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. 
Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. That really, that really just sums up that whole last section, section there, is that work is worship. And if you find yourself in a place that, you, you know, it's just a paycheck for you. You're just going there. You don't really enjoy doing the job, and you're just doing it because you need a paycheck. Let me encourage you to, to pray about that. Pray about God to lead you to the, to the position or the occupation that he's called you to, but at the same time, pray about, God, this is where I am right now. What would you have me to be about now? Right here, right now. Who am I here for? Go in there as a, as a missionary. Go in there as a mission from God. When, you, when that alarm clock goes off and you're dreading going in, change it into, this is the day that the Lord has made. There's an opportunity. God has me in this place at this particular time. I might not be here forever, but there's a reason I'm here, and I want to find out what he would have me do as I live out in this position at this time right now. Who does God want me to talk to? Who does God want to talk to through me today? Who's hurting today? What, why am I here, Lord? And you'll find that your whole attitude will change. Your whole attitude will change. When you change from the reason I go to work is for a paycheck to the reason I go to work is because God has me on a mission and he wants to radically transform this company. He wants to radically transform these people and he wants to bring glory to his son Jesus. Amen? Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.